0: Hello and welcome to the Two Shelves of Gaming podcast, the podcast dedicated to role-playing games, adventure board games and war games. And my name is Tom and I'm your host for this stream of conscience, discussion about whatever it is I'm going to talk about today. Anyway, thank you very much for those of you who continue to listen. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you listening to my ramblings about my my thoughts on gaming. But, you know, sometimes I think to myself, why? Why? I just switched off a light then, hence the click. Sometimes I think to myself, why do I do this? You know, I'm I'm not changing the world. It's I don't have thousands of thousands of uh, listeners. I don't appear on these kind of <laughs> YouTube videos where you see people from the gaming fraternity talking to each other. No, no, no. My, my stuff is very, very low-key under the radar. But the reason I do it is, you know, I'm just like lots of other people out there. I've been playing games for a very, very long time. I have quite a sizable collection. And, uh, you know, every now and again, I just like to take one off the shelf, have a look at it, and uh, just have a have a dis- an internal discussion about w- what I was doing in life when I got it, the times I've played it, what it means to be. You know, I just talk about my games. And, uh, you know, being a guy who's middle-aged, or just over middle-aged, technically, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on that, in my life that does not have to do with games. You know, I've got family, kids. You know, I, we, we relocated from one country to the next uh, last year, and we, 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 we want to do the same again soon. So we've got a lot There's. There's lots of kind of serious adult things flying around my head, but I still love the fact that I will always gravitate to games as one of the things that just takes the pressure out of life somewhat and, uh, you know, it just gives me a great sense of, I guess, satisfaction that all these years later I am still fascinated and happy to, to be around the games that I bought when I was, a lot younger. You know, I'm trying to think where my first proper games purchase was. It was almost, you know what? It, it's, it's probably 40 years ago. That is scary. Wow. So yeah, so such, the, such is the hold the hobby has on my life. Anyway, that's a kind of prologue preamble as to what I do. Anyway, technical notes. I am using the Rode wireless again because I can clip it onto my uh, bright orange hoodie that I'm wearing at the moment. And I can walk around the house and go to various locations to get those creative juices flowing. Because if I'm just kind of sitting down with my old voice recorder, which is a very fine technical bit of kit, I have lots of wires to worry about and I kind of have to sit still. And I'm one of these people who thinks, who finds it easier to uh, think and get creative ideas when I'm on the move. I was thinking of doing this from my bicycle, but I thought, no, I'd I'd lose concentration and have a crash because uh, Switzerland's not the nicest country to cycle around, I have to say. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) Okay, so what have I been up to? What what things have I done in the gaming sphere since I was last on the pod waves? Well, I've made a couple of, I guess, yeah, they are game-related purchases. I'm just moving to another area of our apartment, hence the change in acoustics. Now... As you have, as you remember from a previous podcast, I am a dice addict. And on cue, that is the sound of dice. I bought 24 dice or daddy, as in daddy, not daddy, mummy, daddy, mummy, daddy, but daddy, which is the Italian word for dice or cubes. Now, because we live in Switzerland at the moment, Italy is a very short drive away, and we went, to, we went to the seaside. We had a bucket and spade holiday in Italy. It was great, only a short drive away. You know, nothing glamorous, no private yachts, none of that. We just drove down there in the car, and we went to a lovely seaside town. And like, like all proper seaside towns everywhere, there were loads of shops selling all sorts of just cheap, amazing, useless but useful at the same time, household items, toys, you name it. And uh, I bought two packets of dice. They were selling packets of 12 dice for a mere one euro each. So I bought two packets and I got 24 dice. They are nice, multicolored. I've got blues, reds, greens, yellows. They're nice and square. And let's just roll a couple. Let's get a nice clunky sound if you you can hear it above the sound of the wind. Here we go. Oh yes, hear that. They work perfectly. And the other thing I got when I was uh, in this lovely seaside town, I got a a skeletal or skeletal dragon figure, which I'm not going to get now because it's kind of out of reach and I don't want to mess around with the ladders and everything. And it was, uh, again, it was a lovely, one of those lovely seaside stores that I absolutely are fascinated with because I'm from a seaside town myself and I just have this, I guess, love fascination with people that sell... Tat, as we call it, or you know, just odds and bods and lots of random stuff. Anyway, I bought a Skeletal Dragon. I can't remember the, the name of the brand, but I did look it up when I purchased it. And uh, it was obviously a one-off that came and went as fast as it was made, if that makes any sense. I don't think, I don't think it was made by a company that is still existing, but it's a decent, you could use it for a 28 millimeter war game. The feces, the, the feces, the pieces fit together quite well. However, the, there's a bit of problem with the tail. The, um, it's, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a kit that kind of clicks into place. And for the most part, it's quite solid and sturdy, but the tail, um, I'm gonna have to do something about that. I might have to drill some holes. I'm not sure about gluing any of it because the, the construction's kind of, it's, it's, it's that kind of rubbery plastic. I don't know how to describe it. There's probably a, a technical word. You know, it, it, there's a rubbery plastic so you know to drill it to widen the hole so the pieces click and fit in that I could probably do but I'm not sure if gluing it's going to be any good so I'll have a think I will I will access my mental database to see how what's the best way to do that but it's a really good dragon you know I'm not even going to bother painting it and it was only God, it, was, it was like three euros or two euros it was amazing I should have bought more but uh, I didn't what can you do Okay, so those are the the purchases, If 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 you can class them as gaming purchases, and I will most definitely class those as gaming purchases. And I also finished the third book of Lone Wolf, and I will just get it off the shelf here. I finished The Caverns of Calte, which is a uh, departure from the first two lone wolves now i I was talking about the lone wolf game books in the last episode and i was telling you about the the combat system Um, unlike the other famous game book series which is fighting fantasy of course lone wolf uses a different combat system which means that you can no matter how good you are in combat even if you score damage on your opponent you can still be damaged in turn so if you want to hear more about that um Please check out the last episode. But I was, this is book three, The Caverns of Calte, and it's a departure in that you have completed your quest from the first two books, and now you're doing something else. You're still kind of chasing your, your, your nemesis, the, the grand opponent uh, from the books, and you're going to the Arctic regions of the, uh, the Mangamund world. And, you've got, and what you have in this book is uh, quite a decent wilderness adventure in a game book which i find they they do things differently now i have played wilderness adventures in fighting fantasy of course i'm trying to remember the first one was probably forest of doom uh, and then caverns of the snow which has some uh I, th- I think that has a wilderness component at the start uh scorpion island or yes yeah, scorpion swamp is is a, is a wilderness adventure however with, with a couple of these, especially Forest of Doom and Scorpion Swamp, you're, you've got, the options you have are paths, you know, you're following a path, you know, do you go east or west or north or, or west, whatever. So, you know, if, effectively you're kind of on the same kind of uh, tram lines, or, as I call them, as, as you would in a dungeon. You know, there's, there's no fundamental difference from being given an option of paths or being being given an option of corridors. Now, what Caverns of Calte does, it does something quite interesting. You've got a very, well, well, for, for a start, at the very beginning of the book, you can take one of two choices. Each one will drastically affect the kind of choices and the kind of things you encounter. Now, I don't want to give too much away but you are given a choice in the very first paragraph, which kind of sets up the adventure, tells you what's happened, how you, know, how you travel, you know gets all that stuff out of the way. And it tells you if you want to take uh, the short route, which is more difficult, or the longer, easier route. And of course, depending on which you choose, you are completely going on, uh, that's where the story kind of forks for you, right from the start. So it's not like you'll, you'll encounter you'll experience encounters from one choice regardless. No, you are going on two completely different uh, uh, storylines. I mean, they do, they do link up at some point, I, I assume, because I, I, uh, when I played this book, I only, I only used one of the options, but I could see right away that if I'd have chosen the other one, I would have had completely different uh, uh, choices. So that's one thing which is great. In fact, I will at some point go back and, uh, and, and play the other option. And the other thing is, kind of like the old days of uh, the D&D experts, uh, you know, you've, you've got kind of encounter options. You, know, you, you roll the dice a few times to see whether something happens, you know, whether it, there's a storm or whether you find food or whether you're attacked. So it's really good and I, I don't remember seeing that in fighting fantasy. It does happen in Fable Lands and it does happen in the Bloodsword series, I think. But it's just nice to have that kind of, you know, you, 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 you roll the dice for a random encounter. So that's the Caverns of Calte. You know, maybe I'll do something more on this in the future if I, uh, if I take the other option so I can kind of play the book to its full. In fact, the whole, the whole series thus far has great replayability. I, I do find that very good series. And they keep meaning to buy the next books in the line, which are, book four is The Chasm of Doom, and book five is The Shadow on the Sand. Last time, I think I mentioned last time I tried to get these, they were all sold out. They're back, they're back in the shops now, or well, they're available online, because I, I buy most of my books, new books online at the moment. But I'm due a visit to the UK uh, in a few weeks, so if if I've got the time, I will go to a bookstore And I'll see if they have them. So, there we go. Now, the other thing I've been doing is I have been slowly putting together the pieces of something I promised myself I would do. And I I mentioned this in at least one or two of my previous podcasts. And that is to think about a way of doing or playing Bloodbath at Orcs Drift. Now, I discuss... In my own crazy, cack handed way, the Bloodbath at Orcs Drift um, Warhammer 2nd edition, I think, supplement uh, in another episode. Apologies if I'm repeating myself here. I've got, I've got a goldfish memory today. And that sound of uh, chimes is is a wind chime. And it's incredibly windy today. Yeah, I'll, I'll brave going outside in a little while because some of my hobby stuff is out there. Anyway. Orcs Drift. I promised myself a while ago that I would play through Orcs Drift. And at the time I was thinking, okay, what should I do it with? Should I do it with these rules? Should I do it with a different scale? What should I do? Because um, tragically, I never played it back in the day. It's, it's It's a great piece of classic old school gaming, Warhammer, whatever you want to call it. It's just got that amazing vibe from the 80s when Games Workshop and Citadel were it was what I, what I call a, uh, a, a pocket money hobby or an allowance hobby, or it was to me when I first got into the game. You know, you could just buy a few figures, play a skirmish game and have some fun. You know, it, 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 And also, also there's a lot of humor in, the, uh, in that supplement. There's lots of funny descriptions. There's lots of things between the lines that are, that are quite funny. And of course the name itself, Bloodbath at Orcs Drift is a play on words from Rork's Drift which was of course the subject of the film Zulu with Michael Kane. So where was I? Ork's Drift. So yeah I never played it back in the day and I think one of the reasons was I simply did not have the minis. So as I just mentioned there for me when I first encountered Warhammer it was a pocket money allowance kind of hobby but then when I, when I went through Ork's Drift I could see that you needed lots and lots of figures. Now, while you don't need them all at the same time, the the very first encounter, which is kashak, I think it's called. I'll look this up. It's on my computer. I think it's called kashak pass. Let me just fire up my computer. I'm actually using a computer today to refer to things. My gosh, I'm, I'm quasi-organized. Okay. The first encounter you play is called Yeah, Kachas pass. That was close. And... The army list you have for that encounter, I think you need about 15 elves plus one leader. You know, that, that's manageable. Although that, or rather, that would have been just about manageable to my, to my younger self, perhaps. But you need 40 orcs, a leader, and a giant. And I think when I read all this for the first time, I went, Whoa, I, I can't do this, because bear in mind, ladies and gentlemen, when Bloodbather Orcs Drift came out, and I think it was, uh, was it 85 or 86? It was the mid-80s. Let me just see if I can see a little, uh, 1985. All their stuff was metal. It was metal minis. And even though by today's standards, the minis are, are, are well, If you look at an old price list in in an old copy of White Dwarf, you'll see, I don't know, minis being sold for like 20p or 30p, which is nothing by today's standards, of course. But, you know, back then it was a significant amount. And the point I'm trying to make is, if my younger self had tried to amass 40 orcs, a giant, and an orc leader, plus the 15 elves and their leader in metal, that would have been a significant outlay. That would have been lots and lots of uh, allowances, Saturday job money, that, you know, I think I was just a little bit overwhelmed. And that's one of the reasons I never played it because I just didn't have the minis. Although to be fair to the producers of that product, they do give you some um, card figures that you can use. They're kind of uh, just flat card figures and you can use those as proxies or maybe you can play the whole game with them, who knows, but at least they kind of give give you the choice. Now flip forwards to the present and last year I bought a, uh, what I thought was a, an amazing bargain. I bought a load of orcs. I think it was about 60 orcs from someone who was selling them on one of these um, secondhand mini sites that I'm a member of on Facebook. And I thought, well, hey, I've got this amazing bargain of orcs. My gosh, this guy's selling them for nothing. So I got them, and I, you know, I can see they, they weren't the, the, the best detail, but they, they, were, they were still pretty good. They were still pretty good. And I learned later by, uh, via a listener called Christopher that they are EM4 minis who sell their minis very, very cheaply, or rather they make their minis very, very affordable. Now, if you're in the UK, you can pick up one of their orcs or one of their dwarves for 30 pence, and you can get an army pack of 60 for, you know... A, A fraction for what it costs you to buy a few a couple of minis from games workshop you can buy an entire army i kid you not so one of the one of the things i said i was going to do before i moved to switzerland i said to myself i will paint all the orcs within a year hasn't quite happened yet but i have painted a lot now i'm going to go outside i'm going to open the balcony window i'm going to go outside it is very very windy I do have my uh, windshield on my mic, but it still might be howling madness. Okay, I am now stepping outside. The sound of the wind, the sound of a newspaper, the newspaper that I paint on so I don't get paint everywhere is all over the place. And I'm gonna crouch down and see how many minis I've actually painted. Okay, I still have them in, I still have the unpainted ones in three bags, separated out as, as per troop type. You've got orcs with Bows, orcs with swords, and orcs with um, uh, spears. So let's see, I have painted, I'm going to count this in real time now. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. I have painted 25 orcs to a pretty decent standard, I have to say. If there's one thing I regret about some of the orcs I've painted is the eyes. I, some of them have quite goofy looking eyes. I gave some of them, uh, white eyes with red pupils. If that, if that's how you say it, which kind of looks a bit, l- a little bit goofy, but then the last few I painted, I gave them uh, black eyes with red pupils, which looks much, much better. And I should have done that from the get go, but hey ho it's a process. It's a learning process. So I've got, what did I say, 25 orcs there? And combined with the five that I previously painted here and the five that I have in the Netherlands means I have the requisite number of orcs for the first encounter at Katchas Pass. hey! And back in, the, back in Holland, I have the requisite number of elves. Now, the elves I have available, they're not the elves that... Kachak passes, suggesting I think it's Wood Elves. I've got High Elves, but I'm just going to play with them, you know. And I think that's I think that's one of the problems I've I've placed upon myself throughout my gaming. I've, I've looked at scenarios and I've and I've said to myself, okay, I will set myself a project. I will only make these. I will only play this scenario. Or I will only play this campaign when I have the exact minis. And sometimes that never happens, you know. Sometimes you just have to say, OK, I'm just gonna, I'm going to go with a proxy here. You know, come on. Big deal. I'm using high elves instead of 19 mid mid 80s metal wooden wood elves. Big deal. Now, the one thing I don't have um, painted, at least, is a giant. The scenario calls for a, is it a stone giant. I can't remember it, it. It calls for a giant of some kind. Let, let me scroll down to the command sheets taking a little while for the... Uh... Okay, command sheet. Where's the catch pass command sheet? Okay, a rock giant. Guthrum Main, the rock giant. Now, I don't have one here. I do have a couple of giants back in Holland, which I stripped not so long ago. One of them would be perfect. But, um, well, I'll just, I'll just explain why I keep saying Holland all the time. Because in, in, in about a month's time, we're going to drive back to Holland to our house, because we still have our house there. And more importantly than that, I have most of my gaming stuff there still, including most of my minis and all my RPGs, et cetera, et cetera. So I was thinking to myself, okay, I've got a really good Grenadier giant there. He would be perfect as Guthrum, Main for this this scenario. Trouble is, what I don't want to do is get to Holland. I'm sure I'm going to be busy with loads of other stuff. I don't want to kind of start painting or painting in a rush. So I've said to myself, okay, forget that mini you've got in Holland, do something else. So what I've done is I have ordered a miniature from Denizen Miniatures. Now, as mentioned, I'm going to be back in the UK in a few weeks. So what I've done is I've placed an order with Denizen Miniatures and they have uh, posted it to my parents' address because I will be staying at my parents' for the few days I'm in the UK. I'm not gonna be doing much. I'm just gonna be kind of seeing my folks, seeing my family, because I've not seen them for a long time. And, and I'll be picking up miniatures as well. So I ordered their FA37 catalog number, giant, I, I, can't, remember the, I can't remember what the description is. I should look that up really in my, in, in my, in my email history. Yeah, I'm using lots of computers here, my gosh. Okay, FA37, giant with club. And he will be perfect. He will be perfect, so the, point, so the plan being, I will go to the UK, amongst other things I will pick up my, um, my order from Denizen, I will bring it back to Switzerland, I will paint the giant and then I will take the giant with me to Holland and then when I get to Holland I can set up and play the first adventure. Such is the international chaotic logistics of my gaming at the moment, hey, but needs needs be. And uh, just on the subject of denizen Miniatures, they seem like a great bunch of people or person. I got an amazing level of service from them. Uh, they even sculpted, uh, not sculpted, uh, cast a couple of the miniatures in my order because they weren't available. So, you know, w- when you're in touch with the company and they're saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get your order ready. We just have to cast a couple, then we'll send it out the next day. That kind of... That kind of feels like some Victorian level of service as if you're in some kind of barbershop or tailoring outfit or, or you're getting your top hat fitted and some guy is absolutely tailoring <laughs> your experience. You know, it's, it's just, there's something really nice about that. You know, some, someone has actually just poured the metal into the mold just for you. Does not happen a lot. Anyway, I'll put a, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for that. Uh, I think these are 25 millimeter. No big deal, don't care. I've got, I've got other denizen miniatures in my collection, and I use them with my 28 millimeters. Don't care. I am not one of these guys who's going to say, "Oh, they're the wrong scale. I cannot use these." And I'm trying to step away from that very prescribed you can do this, you can't do this vibe that I, I hear about at um, you know games tables in, in games workshops, or, or warhammer shops as they're known now. No. no, no. Gaming should be, just have fun, you know, freeform game. If it looks right, cool, use it, done. Okay, um, so that's kind of what I've been up to. That's kind of what I've been up to in, in, in the gaming sphere. Uh, just one more thing about the, uh, I'll just go back to Orcs Drift. I have all the scenery I need for Orcs. Dr- uh, sorry, for the catch-ass pass scenario of Orcs Drift. Uh, I know exactly what I'm going to put it on. I'm going to put it on... A very long piece of wood I found uh, last year. I just found a piece of wood abandoned. It was used as, as packing material for, for what lo- what I think was an air conditioning unit when I was in The Hague. And, that, and when I saw it, I went, oh, right, I'm gonna use that for Wargaming, even though my mind was on something else at the time. So basically I've got everything I need I've got the scenery. You just need some trees, some buildings, a a well. I've even got a well. My daughter got me a well a couple of Christmases ago. Fantastic. So I've got everything I need. Uh, I don't have mountains, but what I'm gonna use for mountains, I'm just gonna put a couple of big rocks by the side of the table because the game hinges on the fact that these orcs, these 40 orcs plus leader and giant enter from a gap in the mountains or a pass coming down from the mountains. So I'm just gonna represent that by some rocks. I'm not going to spend years trying to craft a mountain terrain. No, no, I'm just going to go ahead and do this. Okay, so that's, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get to Holland and play catch as Pass. Um, I was going to say something else about scenery, but I think I've, I've said enough. I'll, I'll save that for the next episode. Okay, so what am I going to talk about today? What is going to be the main meat? What is going to be the reason for this audio stream of thought? I thought I would talk about the game HeroQuest. Now why HeroQuest? Well, I was in Holland a few weeks ago. I've been to Holland twice this year with work and we had a very busy time at work and I had to be there to to do some stuff. Half the time I was in, in kind of the office that they have or we have and the rest of the time I was working from my home in Holland in the same city and as i was on my computer i was in my i was in the upstairs office of our house which is uh, kind of full of games which I, which i boxed up because um before we knew we were coming to switzerland we thought we were going to have to completely set, we thought we were going to have to sell the house which of course means having to pack everything and and ship it somewhere that didn't happen in the end so we so all the stuff that we packed is kind of still sitting there just just you know it could be worse at least the dust is keeping off it and one of the things that was next to me in this pile of boxes as I was working on my computer was the original hero quest game from 19 was it 1990 1989 don't quite know but that's near enough for me or rather it's near enough for this podcast now I have to say I didn't know hero quest when it first came out or rather, I didn't really pay attention because around that time, I was kind of getting out of role-playing and tabletop gaming. I was kind of just drifting into other other interests, other pursuits. Uh, I don't even remember seeing the advert that was on TV because there is an advert somewhere that shows you know a couple of kids playing the game and there's a there's a goblin or an orc that kind of jumps out from behind a chair and you know it's 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 a fun advert to watch. It's it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of funky. I don't recall seeing that. Uh, I and I might I might have seen the game in 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 a store somewhere, but it, it, by and large, it passed me by. So fast forward to, I think it was the mid or the late 90s. And I picked up my first copy from a secondhand store or a charity shop, as they're often known in the UK. And I thought, this game is amazing. This game is great. And then, like I always do, I kind of just packed it up and put it away again. And then over the years, I, I bought more and more. I, I think I bought a couple of the extensions. There was even a time when I had about three or four complete hero quests. And I have to say, I sold them all. I had a huge games clear out when I moved, um, when my wife and I bought our first house uh, a while ago. And the reason I had a games clear out was, prior to then, all my games had been kind of put in different cupboards, boxes, containers, shelves, in our small apartment. And when we moved to the house, I. I put them, I kind of gathered them all together in the attic, and it was just this massive pile of, of boxes. It was like, I kid you not, it was, about, it was about the size of two or three refrigerators. It was just nuts, and I thought to myself, oh, this is crazy. I'm not going to play half of this stuff. So I, so I sold a lot of it, you know, which was fine. I sold it for reasonable prices. I got some good money, which I think I used to buy filmmaking equipment. So, you know, it all, all went to a good cause, as it were. And then in 2009, when I, when I did not own any HeroQuest anymore, I was walking past another charity shop near to, my, near to my town in the Liverpool area, and I saw it through the window, and I bought it immediately. And that is the copy that I retain today. So I'm glad I kind of brought things back, as it were. I have over the years, seen a couple of copies on sale or abandoned in a fire station. That's another story. But they, they were incomplete. You know, They just had the board a couple of cards. I uh, should have bought them really, but I didn't. So that's HeroQuest. Now, wh- what is HeroQuest? HeroQuest is a table-top dungeon-delving game where one player plays the dungeon master or the games master and up to four players play the the characters who go through the dungeon on various quests and adventures. You have a dwarf, you have a barbarian, you have an elf, and you have a wizard. And it's a very simple game, but it's great. So to to summarize what might happen in in an adventure, let's say all five people are playing, one Games Master and all the characters. The Games Master uh, sets up the board secretly, or rather, The game board is revealed as the players advance through it. You have a kind of room pattern on the board where you can see all the rooms. However, because every adventure is different, you might find that you're walking down what you think to be a a long corridor. But as you turn the corner, it's blocked off by a rock or a wall. So that means that section of the board, you can't go down. You have to go back and explore other areas. So it's quite a clever setup. And you're opening doors, you're, you know, you're avoiding traps, you're fighting monsters, orcs, goblins, there's gargoyles, chaos warriors, there's undead, there are things called the, is it the Femirs, uh, a monster that never caught, never caught, never quite caught on, I, th- I think they even released some um, actual metal miniatures of them, but uh, they were lost to history, so a really nice tight game, and I, and I was playing it on my own, in between lulls in the activity a few weeks ago, and I just thought this is great. I mean, I was playing it solo, which it's it's kind of an easy game to play solo because you're the monsters you're fighting. Their movement, of course, is restricted to 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 the corridors, the rooms, the grid they move on. So it's not it's not like you're playing a, a war game or a skirmish war game when your your opponents can just kind of move all over the place. Their their you know their their movement is quite quite controlled as it were you know and i i think i played the first the first couple of adventures just with two characters i think it was the dwarf and the wizard or the elf and the wizard and uh, it was fun it was fun although one one thing i discovered when i was playing solo was uh, there isn't a, of course because it's meant as a as a multiplayer game there isn't any kind of rule set to tell you what the what the monsters are doing when when no one's controlling them so i just assumed that if you open a open a room, open the door to a room, there are monsters in there. If you then immediately exit the room, the monsters will follow you. So, you know, that, that's a reasonable assumption, unless there's something else at play. Now, the trouble with that is, once you've done that in a few rooms, because a couple of times, you know, I was really, my characters, my, my elf and my dwarf were getting hammered. They were absolutely getting beaten quite badly. So I thought, you know, let, let, let's retreat. Actually, I can't, I can't remember which... which um, characters I was using. I might have just forgotten and, and misremembered that. Anyway, as we were escaping down the, uh, down the corridor, we've got this entire line of goblins and orcs following us and it kind of re- re- reminds me of the old uh, chase sequence from Benny Hill where Benny Hill's running around dressed in lingerie and there's a load of nurses chasing you. It reminded me of that. There's, there's just a long line of orcs chasing you. you know, I was half expecting the, the Benny, Benny Hill theme tune to start. Anyway, I'm sure if if I had focused more on things, I could have thought of a way to get around that. But a very tight game. You have magic cards. You have four different types of magic. It's, let me think, elemental magic. So it's earth, fire, water and air. Each type of magic has three cards. If you're the wizard, you get three sets of those cards. If you're the elf, you get one set of those cards and you can deploy those spells when you're in combat or, or something else to assist you. Um, what else, okay, what else is there? There are, you know, when you go into a room you can pick up a treasure or it might be a trap. It's a very, very simple but engrossing game. There is great replayability because even though when you get the rules there's a, a set number of adventures that, you know, that makes up the overall quest, you can of course make up your own. And the combat is very simple. You're rolling uh, bespoke dice. Depending on how good you are at combat, you roll more of them. If you roll certain symbols, I think it's the skull that means you've hit, and then your opponent has to roll dice to defend, they can counter by rolling the dice, and if it gets the shields, they've countered. So very, very simple. And I think, just going back to that point I made earlier, I was surprised how lethal it could be for the players. It's not a game where you are an all-conquering hero who will vanquish all before you. know. you can get hammered by a little goblin. So that, that, was, that was good. I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I played that game. It was, it was, it was very, very satisfying. And uh, while I was there, I decided to um, reunite the elf and one of the goblins, because what I'd done was, I, a couple of years ago, I, I was going through it and I noticed that some of the, uh, the plastic had degraded on, my, on one of the goblins' legs and, one of the, on, and, and on the elves' legs. Basically, it snapped. I, you know, there was no pressure applied to it. I wasn't stepping on them or bending them. They just degraded to the point where they just, they just fell off. Now, I think that's a problem with, uh, with that kind of plastic. And I've heard it mentioned by others on YouTube. However, considering the game is 30 plus years old, you know, eh, these things happen. And it's only two of the figures out of however many there are. And there are lots. Nothing that some glue couldn't fix. So anyway, the, um, I had glued them back together and painted them up quite nicely some time ago. But I'd use them, in my, I'd use them for other games like Frostgra- Frostgrave or, you know, um, a skirmish game. So I, I, I put them back in where they belonged, with their with their Hero Quest, Hero Quest brethren, as it were. And the reason I want to talk, the, the reason I'm talking about Hero Quest is I, I, th- I think it's a form of gaming perfection almost. As a tabletop game, I think it is really really tight. It does everything it needs to be with, without being overly complicated. And the reason I say this is about. Oh gosh! Twenty plus years ago, when I was getting back, back into gaming after the, uh, after the deep freeze, as, as many gamers call it, I I saw a game called Descent, and when I saw Descent, I immediately said, "Oh, that's just like Hero Quest," and in a way, yeah, it kind of is. It's the same general idea, and I have to admit, I've not played Hero Quest. Oh, uh, sorry, I've not played Descent. But I have seen it in game stores. I've seen the box. And, you know, it's a big box. There's loads of components. It's, it's kind of expensive, too. I mean, I was, I was stunned when I saw the price of it even 20 years ago. There, there's lots to do. There's lots of trinkets. There's lots of, I think they call it resource management these days. You know, you've got cards and counters and beads and, and whatnot and bespoke dice. It looks lovely. I, do, I don't want to knock the game. I don't want to knock the game at all. I know it's very popular and many, many editions of it have been released and it's still popular now. But a point I'm trying to make is, you know, a game like Descent, are they not just trying to reinvent the wheel? And by that, I mean, aren't they just kind of using the, the Herocept concept and just putting new things on it? They're putting new bells and new whistles, etc. And of course, there have been other very similar games released since. Now, there's, there was a a Doom board game that was out for a while and I remember seeing it in my local bookstore when I would, uh, when I would go to a bookstore regularly and I said, oh, this looks nice. But then I'd look at the price tag and I'd go, whoa, not doing that. And then I think to myself, well, I've got HeroQuest. Why, why do I need to buy Doom or Descent when I've got HeroQuest? It's kind of the same thing. I think, I think what HeroQuest does, it does very well. It keeps it simple. It's got lots of replayability. And I prefer it over dissent because I think something like dissent is it's maybe somewhat over-engineered. Controversial perhaps. But uh I I that's that's one of the reasons I've it's it's kind of kept me in control because I remember over lockdown I was, you know, I was had had different habits. Sounds a bit weird and ominous, but I was looking at games to play. I was I was, you know, because I wasn't spending the same kind of money as I was normally because I was in the house all the time and I'm sure it was the same for many, many people. You know, so, oh, I thought, oh, I'll, I'll buy a game. Yes, I'll, I'll buy a game. And the game I saw, I was half considering it wasn't Descent. It wasn't Doom. It was something called Gloomhaven. Now, once more, it's not a game I've seen up close. But it looks like a very engrossing fascinating game that you can play solo and it looks like it has incredibly granular levels of detail of 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 gameplay i think it's a hex based system you've got tiles you can arrange and i believe the overall notion is you're going through a town called gloomhaven and uh, you can play it solo i'm not sure if i just said that you can play it solo but The reason I never went ahead with the purchase, because I remember one day they were selling it, there was some kind of cheap special offer, I I just didn't. Because I thought to myself, I have HeroQuest, why do I need anything else? And that's that's the great thing about me having HeroQuest, it always makes me realise that in some form, in some way, I have an absolute gem of gaming history and an absolute gem of playability. I don't I don't need any of these new games. And and I'm not saying they're not good, they are, they sell well, they're very popular, they are beautifully put together, but I I I personally do not need it because I have HeroQuest. And I realize I'm coming off as a as, as a stuck record there, but that's uh that's just me. And that that was that kind of ramble about HeroQuest is kind of all I really wanted to talk about. Because you know, it, it's one of the many games that I have in my collection, and and if it wasn't for the fact that I was in back in the Hague in my office on that day, I probably wouldn't have played it. And I'm, I'm, I'm really glad I did. I found it great that I finally, you know, just rolled the dice, put some figures down on the board because I, I I don't do that enough. I'm I'm always finding excuses not to do things, or, or rather things get in the way of my gaming sometimes, you know, busy, busy family life, work, there's, there's always some crisis to be solved, there's always some fire to put out. And it just felt amazing to just, you know, put some figures down on the board, arrange the scenery and, uh, and roll some dice. Ah, that was it, scenery. That's my one gripe about, about HeroQuest, and that leads on to another subject, which I hope I can, I can get to. If you have a really, really busy game of HeroQuest, you're going to have lots of really nice looking scenery all over the board. You've got like um, tomes, you've got graves, you've got fireplaces, bookshelves, weapons racks, doors. These all look really, really nice. But I think one of the problems with, with the game is if, if you've got everything on the board and you start putting your hand in to move, move the figures, you, you, you're going to knock things over. You're just going to knock things over. And that, that, that's a bit of a pain. And also the way the, uh, the way the room spaces are arranged means that there's not a lot of wiggle room to put play, um, pieces and scenery sometimes. So let's say you've got to put a piece of scenery in the middle, you might find that it's hard to move your figures into a space next to that scenery just because the two bases bump into each other. So you know, that, that, that's a bit of a gripe, that's a bit of a gripe. And uh, that was th- that was something I wanted to talk about in, in another episode, perhaps. You know, having practical scenery for your war games. Because I'm one of these guys who likes to have scenery that, hey, you know, looks decent, but also your your miniatures can interact with it. But like I say, that is going to be an episode for... Oh, sorry. That's going to be a subject for another episode. I think my general plan is, I'm, I'm going to see if I can do this. I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can... Record or pre-record a lot of podcasts while I'm in Holland because I'm going to be with all my gaming stuff again. I'll probably, hopefully, be playing some games. It'll generate some thoughts, so maybe I can uh, I can record a few things that then I can uh, put up over the you know for the rest of the summer or for the rest of the year. Basically, here's here's some podcasts I made earlier because what I am what I'm conscious of is is not. I, I, I would hate to be one of these guys who just doesn't produce stuff, you know, he produces a couple of episodes or records a few episodes and then just goes quiet,
1: you know, because sometimes it's
0: hard to motivate myself to do this. But once I start, I find it's quite easy to get going, even though half of what I say is probably gaming gibberish. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning in to this weird podcast of Random recollections about dice in seaside stores in Italy and HeroQuest and Painted EM4 Orcs. I really appreciate your patronage. I will open the door to go back onto the balcony And I will sign off with the wind blowing as I look out towards Lake Geneva Which I can oh god, what was that bang? Some metals banging here in the wind. I can just about see Lake Geneva still because of course all the trees have their green leaves on them which restricts the view a little bit but i can still see the lake through a kind of v-shaped gap in the foliage and uh, i can see there's actually some waves today which you don't normally see on the lake so that's that and i will i will now sit down with the orcs that i underpainted and hopefully later today i will paint five more orcs and that's what i will do Anyway, my name's Tom. Thank you very much for listening. And this was the Two Shelves of Gaming podcast. Goodbye.